All right, good morning. Welcome to Newton Orchard. Uh, this will be the second to the last time we do Zoom. Um, we will next week have the pastoral cohorts lead us in kind of a wrap up of our discussion on vision and mission. Uh, for those of you who don't know, first, what the pastoral cohort is, and second, who those people are, let me take a few moments to just tell you. Um, so the cohort is something we started last year, and the idea was to begin to train uh, more formally pastoral staff from all of our different churches. So we started with about eight last year, and that, that number about doubled and a half um, this year and have 21. So uh, Denton North Church is lucky to have four people doing that, Ryan Pochet, uh, you can wave, I guess, about the only time on Zoom it's appropriate to wave right there when you want to draw someone's attention. Um, and he did the first year cohort last year, second year cohort this year. Uh, Mia and Manny there are with us, yes. And then uh, Hannah Ortega uh, as well, which she's not on my screen currently, but maybe on the second screen. Yes. So anyway, um, they chose to take a year um, to spend time just learning about pastoral ministry. And uh, it's a pretty big time commitment considering all of our folks uh, are working full-time as well. And so, yeah. So um, anyway, it's kind of a cool opportunity. And there's a lot of things we do, a lot of topics. We just got done last uh, month talking about ministry in a mixed culture, uh, talking about poverty and uh, race and social media and politics and things like that. And uh, it's just a great group, um, but you'll be hearing from them next week. And so that'll be pretty great. And that will end our Zoom time, at least our full church Zoom time for now. On the 13th, we'll be back at the GDAC and we'll be meeting outside. Uh, we're changing our time to 9.30, which is crazy. I woke up like 10 minutes ago, so I'm going to have to remember um, to actually, you know, do that. Normally, I wake up at 8. I don't, don't remember the last time I slept in, but... We are meeting much, much, much earlier uh, to accommodate the weather, although it looks like um, we're pretty close to having some pretty decent weather, so we'll probably bump it back to 11 as soon as things get nice. And if it rains, like it rained this morning, we would just go inside. Um, we'll require you to wear masks, all right? Uh, probably the only time that you wouldn't be wearing a mask is if you were sitting down next to your, excuse me, next to your spouse or um, roommates or something like that, uh, and that's outside and inside. Uh, you'll have to bring your own coffee, all that good stuff. We'll do uh, temperature checks if we're going to be inside. Uh, we ask you to buy a, one of those cheap chairs that you can put outside so that we don't have to try and coordinate getting chairs. They're like 5 or $6 at Academy or Walmart um, holding chairs. We'll bring probably 10 extra for those of you who forget. If you just want to do a blanket, that's fine too. Um, but, uh, yeah, and be there. The ground is pretty rough. There's not a lot of grass right there. It's mostly just roots <laughs> and, and dirt. So I'm not for sure you really want to do a blanket, but yeah, you're welcome to. All right. So yeah, um, a couple more things. We're pretty much wrapped up now in our surveys. Those of you who have still um, not taken the small group survey, please go ahead and do that because we have assigned most of our groups. Um, and uh, you need to, to get on that if you expect to be a part of that come the second week in September, which is when we'll start. All right. And uh, the small groups will most likely be in, on Zoom for the semester, although I think your group can probably decide that together. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so that's uh, make sure to sign up for that. We have also our leadership opportunities. If you're wanting to do anything in leadership this next year, make sure you sign up for that as well. Both of those surveys are uh, online, but we're going to get going both in our leader teams and our small groups second week of, uh, of September. All right. Well, so we're in this little kind of time that we take at the beginning of every semester to talk about our mission and vision as a church. Uh, stuff that's not always the most fun to listen to because we either think we know it or we've heard it so many times or maybe we haven't heard it, but we're not necessarily that bought into this church yet <laughs> to care what their mission and vision uh, you know, sort of is. But I really want you to pay attention this morning because I've spent a lot of time thinking about and praying about this week. And I want to mention some things, some things that I feel like are uh, on my heart and uh, that I think are important for us as a community to think through. Who are we as a church? Because we're connected to all these other churches in the DFW area directly through our relationship of the DFW Metro family of churches and why our mission and our vision are shared. Uh, our church is definitely different and should be and is encouraged to be than all those other churches. And so we've got sort of this main mission vision that uh, underlies what we do. But then we've also got a lot of leeway uh, to decide that for us as a church, as we're led by God in the specific city that we're in. And so that's important to tease those two out. We're not trying to be like any of the other churches specifically. Um, and, uh, and that's pretty cool um, to be joined together uh, with other churches and to have that freedom uh, both in theology and in practice is pretty rare. We've done a lot of research over the last decade to try to figure out other models that are pretty similar to this and just really honestly can't find anything. Um, the two extremes are satellite churches, which are just, um, you know, mouthpieces for the sort of big church often. Uh, or churches that are fully independent and do their own deal and are cut loose from uh, any sort of main church. And we're trying to do something very different. As Ronnie says, the best of big and the best of small or best of little. Um, so yeah, so anyway, so let's let's talk briefly about this and then I'm gonna have some questions I want you to consider and think through this next week uh, just to figure out uh, sort of where you are both in uh, your relationship to the church and your relationship with God and with our community as a whole. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll get going with that. Lord, lead us as we think through uh, who you've tasked us to be uh, in this city, in Metroplex. Um, what is it that you want from us? What can we do not to make a name for ourselves and not to feel good about our existence, um, but to serve the purpose that you've given us uh, in this city? Can you please... Make that clear uh, as more and more of us graduate and become adults and uh, experience um, sort of the world and its difficulties. Pray that you would give us um, insight that maybe we can only get in our environment through your spirit that we can bring back to the church to shape our mission and vision. Love you, Lord. Amen. So our mission uh, has and always will be to make and mature disciples to the glory of God. Um, yeah, making mature disciples. So if you think about that, what that really means is that our goal as a church is not to make Christians. I think this teases out a really important point uh, that many of us sort of know. Um, we're in an interdenominational church, which means we have a lot of people from a lot of backgrounds. But if you're going to pick one background that probably most, at least in the early days, 
uh, characterized our church. It was the Church of Christ, for better or for worse. Uh, and what the Church of Christ, in all of their flaws, were really, really concerned about was making sure that people were living out their faith, not just adding Christian to the Christian club, but actually being taught, as Jesus says in Matthew 28, how to obey his commands. And so that's really our mission as a church, is to make immature disciples, uh, which means the making part we often think about is making Christians, not about making Christians. I mean, that's certainly a big part of what we do, but so many of the Christians that come into our church community really aren't even disciples. And not to try to, to separate these two terms too much, but a disciple is someone who's actively following Jesus. A Christian is someone uh, really is, could be such a loose definition of a variety of things, even though the word itself means follower of Jesus. And so we're not trying to split hairs. We're not trying to, you know, um, be extreme and tell people that you've got to do this, that, and the other, and, you know, live a, uh, a very specific set of moral codes to be a disciple. We're just trying to be actively interested in practicing becoming like Christ, not just do church and Christianity. And so we're, we're making and training disciples. Uh, of course, one of the big parts of what we've tried to do as a church is help people transition out of the college ministry, which is very intense. Uh, for those of you who haven't been a part of Focus, our college ministry, some of the things we talk about, some of the things we do can be a little bit confusing. Uh, because your college experience may, might have been very different. Um, a good probably 70% of our membership and all of our churches is the college ministries. Uh, they're very, very large. They're big. Um, there's a lot more of them than our churches. But in transitioning out of the college environment, um, you know, it's really tough to take what you've learned and apply it to a new environment, like really tough. Uh, it was kind of easy you know, sort of set people up for success in the college ministries um, to do a lot of mentoring and helping people and you know, knowing who the relationships were, being mentored, and adult life is just not that way. And so what does it look to make immature disciples in a church where we're trying to basically mature you into taking all those things you learned in college, which are more or less handed to you, and now empower you to do them all in a very new environment? An environment that's really much more realistic. Uh, I hate to compare focus to Disneyland or Disney World. I know I'm going to get in trouble for that, um, but it's super fun. It's like a real intense time of life. But it's think about why so many people look back at their college years and are like, "Man, that was the best years of my life." We don't want people in our churches thinking that their college years were the best years of their life. If that's the truth, then we failed to make immature disciples. Um, because really what we've done is trained people to look back at a time when they really felt close to God, but in reality, they were in a bubble uh, where the environment was the thing that really um, made them feel close to God, not any of those things that they were really doing along with the Spirit. And so we want to teach that. We want to take a new environment and see if any of these things that we've taught, like our, one of our values about brotherhood and friendship, will actually stick. One of the most important things continually in our society is to teach people how to do friendship well. And in college, it's fairly easy. You have a lot of people who are like-minded around you and spend time. But our, our adults who are transitioning into the work world really developing close friendships, um, creating a brotherhood of people who not 
are like-minded in terms of their politics or their cultural experiences, or really like-minded in that they're trying to live uh, according to um, how Jesus taught us to live. And so do we do that well? And I think that's been a real struggle for us because uh, it's, it's like anything else. It's one of the most difficult things in life to truly do friendship uh, correctly. Uh, there's just so many things working against us in our individualistic culture and in our busyness um, and even just in our shallow definition of what friendship really looks like uh, as, a, as a culture. So that's our mission. That's who we are as a church. It's who we've been. It's who we're going to continue to be. Our vision uh, is to be a place where hearts are turned to God and lives changed. So again, transitioning out of college, do we go from growth, um, uh, friendship, and people interacting with each other and getting a taste of what it means to be a, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, to people who truly actually love God? One of the things I think that um, we see a lot in our college ministries is people love to love people. <laughs> and that's really good. But John says, you know, there's no possible way you can love God if you don't love your brother. And the opposite is true, too. Um, you can't possibly love people well if you don't love God. Because if you don't love God, you don't have deep within your DNA an expectation that you're going to treat people as he created you to treat them. You may be good at relationships in general, which I think some of us find that we are, but you're not really loving people the way that God expects us to love people. Not expects us, but enables, empowers us to love people uh, in the same way uh, that he loves us. And so that's one of the things about this, this vision that we have of the hearts being actually turned to God in life's change is that as you grow, you're growing more in a, uh, a loving relationship with God, yeah, a, a caring relationship with God. And I think one of the things that a lot of our folks um, find as they graduate is they feel less close to God than ever before. This is not a bad thing. This is actually a good thing. It's a lot like growing up and kind of your parents slowly becoming your friends rather than just uh, people who give you stuff. <laughs> You know, there's a, there's a separation that happens in your teenage years where you begin to realize your parents don't know all you thought they knew and aren't near as good people as you thought they were. <laughs> and then you circle back around to realize they were doing their best and, you know, you understand and then you become preachers. Well, it's the same, I think, in our relationship with God. A lot of us in college feel really close to God. We're doing ministry. We're doing things that, again, are a little bit... Um, uh, sort of shallow or, or environmental things. And then when we get off on our own and we don't have all of these experiences that we attribute back to God, we've got to circle back and have a much more adult friendship uh, and a true deep love and concern for God. One of the things I fear in our church communities, I see it in my own heart, but I see it, I think, a lot, is we're here for friends and belonging and not really uh, growing in a love for who God is. Um, and that just doesn't work. That's not who we are as a church. Our, visions, our vision is for, for people to really have their hearts turned to God and their lives uh, you know, changed as a result of that. And so what does that look like? I'm very excited this next year that we've got like nine people on a worship team uh, that are going to be leaders. And that's not a worship team like, oh, they're going to go get up and sing uh, and do guitar. We have a separate team that's sort of technically... Um, good at those things. This team will be much more about trying to think through what it looks like in our day and age to do worship well. 
how do we think about really loving God and do that individually and do it as a community? So uh, that's our mission. That's our vision, right? Hearts are changed, life turned to God. I always get that one backwards. Uh, hearts are turned to God and life's changed, and then making and maturing disciples. So let me just give you a, another couple thoughts. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of these values that we write uh, in uh, values that I think change from church to church. We don't have any of this on our website, but you certainly can find it uh, in the other churches. Probably the Northeast Garland Church is the best at actually posting um, some of those things. But I want to talk about a few just uh, here for a second. The one thing that I think is really excited about, excited about who we are as a church is we are poised to kind of flex to however Christianity changes in our society. Um, not just our church, a lot of our churches, the fact that we don't have a building, we're not stuck in a spot, in a place, um, gives us the opportunity not only to move around physically, um, but to move around in how we do what we're doing. Uh, we're one of the youngest churches still, although we're kind of in the middle now, which is insane. We're going on seven years. And you know, our church has been and will continue to be kind of a petri dish for ideas. Um, but that goes back to our value of simple Christianity, simply trying to do uh, what Christians are called to do in the scripture and not add a whole lot of stuff that gets us stuck in patterns and traditions and even in reputation. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, the upside of large churches that are doing huge things in the community is they begin to build a reputation for what they're doing. And that can be a real good thing because people can rely on them, but it can also be a bad thing in that it becomes a stranglehold for trying to do anything else. People are drawn to the church because of the reputation they have in this specific area, this specific thing. And hopefully those things were God designed in the first place, uh, but other times they're simply just finding a need, meeting it, and then never really stopping to think, uh, what's the end game here? <laughs> can we get up and can we change? Can we move if God calls us to move, if Christianity changes in our society? Um, so where do we move? What do we need to teach? How do we change our practices to adapt to what's changing around us? And one of the things I think about Denton, which is interesting, is Denton is a little bit more what I would call, um, how to put this politically correct, uh, a little bit more of a representative sample of our country than some of the other places around the North Dallas area. There you go. Um, and some of the other places where our churches are, with maybe with the exception of maybe um, the Arlington Church, but even then it's primarily college students. So I think we have some kind of interesting opportunities um, to be at the cutting edge or at the front of some of the ideas that are really changing about Christianity, about faith, about spirituality in our society, and to try to interact with some of that stuff. Um, you know, we struggle to adapt quickly, uh, which makes sense because so many things are changing so quickly around us in regard to how people view Christianity in regard to um, you know, how we're supposed to be interacting with the community and what uh, things should be on our agenda. Um, but uh, we're young enough uh, to be able to change those things and to add things to our church uh, that really define uh, who we are in terms of our evangelism and our thinking through how to connect with the people around us in ways that, uh, that make sense for how Christianity is changing. Um, and for those of you who um, 
you know, maybe don't know, or maybe haven't paid attention to this, although I think it's probably rare for some people in our church. Christianity continues to be uh, sort of a waning thing in our society, particularly Christianity, not so much spirituality, not so much religiosity, but people's affiliation with Christianity. You want to look up any research on it, probably the best thing to do to to type in nuns, not like N-U-N-S. This is very confusing, but N-O-N-E-S. A lot more people out there who are non-affiliated with a religion. And uh, and still most of them have Christian ideas, but I would call them cultural Christian uh, ideas. So one of the values as a church, one of the ones I think that's most in our wish values, but not acted out values, is dynamic evangelism, including everyone. Dynamic meaning that we're uh, constantly changing up methods, ideologies to connect with people outside of the church to teach them about who God is. Now, our church is not good at this. Uh, And part of it is because we're young, okay? And while we see the changes around us, it sort of stops us in our tracks and we're scared and we're not quick enough. We can't rely on old methods, but we really haven't been experienced or trained with new methods. And so this just gets challenging. Um, But thankfully, one of our other values as a church is simplicity or sincerity and genuineness we just need to admit that most of us are really pretty terrible at outreach um and that's not one of those shame guilt type things where people are you know terrible at certain things all the time like prayer everyone thinks they're always terrible at prayer (laughs) um and then you meet a pentecostal and you're really terrible at prayer just kidding just kidding um but I, we're just not that great. I mean, if I need to give you indicators of it, I can. I'm certainly not great, even though I have it deep in, in my heart somewhere to be uh, better at it. I just don't even like talking to people. So that's one of my, uh, you know, barriers to get over. But you guys are the same way. Don't give me that. Think about it. Uh, that's kind of where we're at now um, yeah, in, in some ways. But we want to be genuine about this sort of lack of outreach. But I think it's such a weird thing for our church not to be good at this because we are young, we are thoughtful, we, we are in a community that is very interested in talking about religion, even though they may seem at times very anti-Christian, which is not true in my experience. Um, but what does it look like to really grow in that, to start at a very basic level? And that's a challenge for you. We gave an opportunity for outreach team as one of our leader teams. We had one person sign up of some 30 leaders, one person, one, and, she, and this person signed up, she was already the leader of the group last year. <laughs> so we're gonna delete that group entirely. We're just not gonna have an outreach group. I'm not gonna force our church uh, into things that people you know, sort of don't, uh, in terms of leadership roles, uh, don't feel are um, you know, something they're equipped to do or ready to do. But as a church, we need to get better at it and think about it uh, and what it looks like. And so you'll, you'll hear us in our basic Christianity talk this next year, focus a lot on, you know, you really can't talk about being a disciple without talking about sharing about being a disciple. (laughs) They just don't work together. And yet we've done a really good job of being hidden Christians. Um, And again, I get it. It makes sense. We're in a society where I think we're bombarded by, um, you know, uh, some things. And I want to talk about that here in a moment, but I do want to grow on that because it's one of our values and important. Um, so, yeah, each generation, I think, faces a greater challenge to accept Christianity at face value. That is not a bad thing, all right? I want to repeat that. It's not a bad thing. The church has had the most important 
um, you know, what do you call them, renewal movements in the face of opposition. Uh, and have come out much stronger on the other side. And the church has made its worst mistakes at the height of its being accepted by everybody else around them. So this idea that Christianity is losing its um, sort of, I won't say, you know, well, I'll just say losing its past acceptance is really not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. And we need to be um, ready for that, uh, able to take advantage of it. Um, and, uh, and I think that's really, really pretty important. So uh, it's good news. God is pruning our presence in the U.S. and in the world, if you think about it like that. He's pruning our presence. One of the main things I think that people um, have opposition to Christianity for is all of the ways it's been hijacked by people. And I'm not just talking about people who've made, um, you know, mistakes in their faith, but where Christianity has literally just been hijacked. We had an uh, awful example of that this last week, um, although I have not checked into it, so I won't give too many details, um, but one of our... Uh, politicians decided to use the scripture in well, what I would say is a just absolute horrendous way. <laughs> uh, take parts where uh, they were mentioning Jesus and just mention America instead. Um, but that is unbelievably offensive. Uh, and so, yeah, that's people have hijacked it. And so there's a lot of people out there um, that, uh, that have problems with Christianity. But that's actually a good thing because then we can stand up and, uh, and be a part of God's pruning uh, our presence here in the U.S. I was so excited uh, to give an example of, uh, I guess it's about a year ago now, uh, to watch evangelicals breaking with Trump on immigration issues. That really gave me a lot of hope <laughs> uh, for Christianity uh, in the country. That At least some folks who tend to um, be very um, strident in their political opinion and perspective. We're willing to let the gospel lead uh, and not politics, at least on, uh, on that issue. But I don't want to get too much in politics. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, is this even so important? Christianity seems less and less relevant in our society. What's going on? Why does that matter? This is part of the reason we're going back to the basics in Christianity to kind of talk that through. What are some of the things we ought to release, get rid of? prune as God is pruning them uh, in our society and what are the things that we ought to double down on? What does it really mean to be uh, a disciple um, and a disciple in the current, you know, sort of state we're in? So why is this uh, just a, a quick kind of thought, couple thoughts about why it's declining? I already mentioned people are hijacked or people have hijacked it and people, uh, you know, I think the, the problem with hijacking religion is religion promises so much and when people use it to deliver so little, it's just so insulting. There's just something so evil, I think, about that. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why hijacking has, has you know, become such a big issue. Um, and that's unfortunate. But I don't want to talk too much about that. It's negative, and I think we all sort of agree it. Uh, we have so much access to conflicting opinions, right? So more than ever before, we have opportunities to hear from such a variety of different people. It makes it really hard uh, to feel strongly about anything anymore, I think, unless we just let our own opinions filter in and then we can, you know, uh, have strong opinions. Or, uh, and sometimes even worse, it makes it hard not to just mix a whole bunch of stuff up. 
Um, as the scripture talks about syncretism, we just sort of mix ideas and hope that somewhere uh, those ideas are kind of faithful to God. Um, and, uh, and so that happens, certainly. But, you know, I think one of the things, and one of the things probably don't, people don't tend to think a lot, is Christianity is just becoming less in vogue because that's what happens in any society as it ages. You know, it's really interesting. Any society that ages, uh, religion becomes less and less important. And this is almost always the case. It's kind of like when you first start off as a society, you don't really have any things that you're known for. Or you really don't have much other than your revolution story. So religion sort of fills that gap in. But the older a nation, the older a society gets, the more they can kind of point to how cool they are <laughs> and different. And so the less having to connect to something wider than our country, our state uh, is important. And that's why um, I think Christianity is in, in ways uh, becoming less important. So there's a real irony, of course, in that, that patriotism itself is leading to um, a sort of decrease in, in religiosity and particularly in Christianity in our society. But sorry, that's enough sociology. I uh, will address here. Okay. Um, so let me just uh, leave you with four questions that I think are really important questions that are going to guide our um, Christianity study uh, this next um, semester. And also, I think it would be great questions for you to just sit and think about and talk about, um, ponder. And maybe someone can write these in the chat as I'm uh, mentioning them. That'd be really helpful if you don't mind. Um, yeah, great. So number one, why should you believe? Why should anybody believe? Really honestly, why Christianity? Why Jesus, more importantly? So why should anybody believe? Why should I believe? I'm going to say my two answers, or at least two answers I want you to consider, is one, it gives the most compelling answers to our questions, concerns, desires, and dreams. And by compelling, I don't mean most rational. I don't mean most culturally appropriate. <laughs> I mean most compelling answers to our questions, concerns, desires, and dreams. A story of who Jesus is story of God sending him in his spirit is the most compelling uh, in regard to the answers to, you know, our, our questions, concerns, desires, dreams, the things that we want. It's most compelling. Jesus himself talks about this in John 7, uh, which is one of my favorite passages. I use it all the time, particularly with people who are new in their faith or struggling with their faith. He just simply says, try out what I'm doing and see if my word doesn't come from God or not. Just try it out. <laughs> not trying to guilt people into it he's not trying to you know tell them they're all going to hell uh jesus ministry was very different than many of what our um uh, kind of i don't know more extreme evangelists tend to do but he believed it was compelling for people that they would be able to see it themselves jesus often allowed his disciples to run off or off the hook you guys done you ready are you gonna stick around uh there was no um uh, coercion there uh, at all and uh, of course that makes sense considering <laughs> it's very easy for god to uh, to coerce people so why should you believe i think it gives the most compelling answers to our questions concerns those things and it's just most true to life and true to experience um what does that even mean what does it even mean that uh, what we learn from jesus is most true to life and true to experience um i don't have time to go into all of that um, but what I can say is that the things that I've learned as I've grown up, um, um, the things that I have, uh, I think, learned in my relationship with God, 
make the most amount of sense, this goes back to compelling, to the things that I've already experienced uh, and true to the kind of life I want to live. Just makes sense. It's, it just makes sense. One of the most obvious ones is just how much um, you know, religions have tried to either um, you know, emphasize pain or emphasize pleasure. It's got to be one or the other. And how much Christianity has a very, very uh, sort of realistic and what some would call low understanding of both of those things <laughs> to try to avoid. And we're not saying we're trying to avoid both, but that both of them are part of life uh, and that we can't do anything to get outside of them. But I, that's, I won't talk too much more about that because that was confusing. All right. Second one, who is Jesus? And this is always an important one. I mean, is he a model man? Uh, image of God or just another really good guy among many? Who is Jesus? And this is an age-old question, but it's one that there's really no better way to phrase. Uh, who is he? Is he the image of God? Is he who God is in the most purest form that we can understand as human beings? Or just a, another really good guy among a lot of good guys that God or gods have used throughout the ages um, to help us figure out what it means to be human? And this is an important question. Is there anything to set him apart? Anything that really uh, and, you know, makes him, uh, what, he say, uh, what he says about his relationship with God um, makes sense to us? This is a tough one particularly because there's always going to be, be a, a large belief factor here. I can go to prove this. <laughs> Our answer to the question of the, you know, why should we believe sort of, um, I think, answers this when it comes to who is Jesus. So who are we is the third one here. Who are we? Are we ultimately people of God used by him to do his work, which itself is a terrible plan. Uh, and one of my favorite things about Christianity is just how stupid so many of the ideas come across as. <laughs> so I know that seems like I'm countering my earlier statement about true to life and true to experience, um, but I'm not. We can actually sort of hold these two uh, together. We'll just call it Christianity and contradictions, which uh, life is full of them. Uh, our own minds are full of them. And so in a sense, that's what I mean by being true to life. But why, if God was all-powerful, would he send a bunch of sinners to do the work that, uh, that he wants in the world? I mean, you just think about it. It's really kind of a dumb, amazing kind of thing. But, of course, the answer for those of us who've been you know, living in faith for a while is we know that the work itself uh, isn't left up to us. Certainly, God is the one that's doing that. But it's in the work that God changes us and, and uses us. So much about religion is about some other life. Um, you know, what is that one bumper sticker? Uh, so heavenly minded, no earthly good. <laughs> if the pinnacle of religion is that some later future world, we're all going to be great and we have nothing to do here other than wait. Well, that's certainly not true to life or true to experience. Now, that seems like an excuse for doing whatever you want here and just hoping something happens later. Um, but that's not how God is. He's using us to work in this world, which is pretty amazing. So are we people of God used by him to do his work or just another sect using religion to justify what we already or want to do and believe? Doing his work, 
are just another one of the so many sects that use religion for their own end. And then the last question is, who am I? And I'm, I realize I'm giving you these as sort of polar opposites. That's just generally who, how my mind thinks. <laughs> and uh, they're not very helpful, actually. If you really want to kind of consider and think through these questions, there's going to have to be a little bit more of a nuanced uh, you know, response, I think. But who am I? A human reliant on the spirit or just another human trying to do my best to mix whatever I can to get by? A human life is marked in our society by a bunch of trial and error and random mixes that we have some that some have access to, some don't. Uh, and that's mostly what we do. The best we can hope for is this sort of syncretism, this mix and match hope that I can you know, get by with what I've got. That is so opposite of how the scripture presents what it means to be a human. Uh, the spirit is guiding us in our experience towards an aim. Um, helping us test the ideas around us that are true against those that aren't, and all for the purpose of becoming fully human, not for the purpose of becoming, you know, a mutt uh, that just has a whole bunch of, you know, sort of bloodlines and no one really tells what we are. That was a terrible example. Mutt, that was a bad one, because I've got two of them. They're the best by far. Gosh, sorry, should have broken my example there. All right, so those are the questions. And you can kind of think through, and uh, hopefully our sermon series this next semester will help us uh, analyze that some and really think back through it. But I'll tell you this, and just want to uh, say this as I'm ending here. I want you to remember just about the uh, value that we have as a church of uh, being sincere and genuine. Uh, so much of religion, it seems to be about facades and about trying to live up to something that we know we should be doing. Um, but I think that betrays a trust and a faith in God, that God meets me where I'm at and moves me forward. And we don't, you know, not sincerity and genuineness is not an excuse for low living. Like, I'll never be anything better than what I am. I'm just being sincere. You know, that's not narcissism or not, um, uh, what's the negative word? Skepticism. Ah, whatever. Half uh, empty glass. Uh, we're talking about ultimately, um, you know, really letting God meet us where we're at and then go forward and not have to pretend that anything different. So there you go. So there's a, a very, very overwhelming and lots of word talk on vision and mission and uh, in our sermon series for, uh, for next semester. And then next week, we'll do the cohort stuff. So I'm going to say a prayer and then uh, we'll be done. You're welcome to hang out and do what you want to do. I don't really have any kind of group activity type stuff after this. Um, but, uh, yeah, Lord, lead and guide, uh, as you do, help us to grow up as a church of young people graduating and trying to make sense of the world that we would uh, do work in a way that brings good news to the people in and around us at a workplace that we would do finances and, um, life, um, the way that you want us to, uh, because it blesses others and really helps guide people and help us to be, um, just a church of the city, uh, or rather in the city, um, and, uh, and really adapt to the people here and, uh, and love them, um, as you call us to love them. Uh, you're awesome, God. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks.
Um, see ya, you know, when I see ya. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.